Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org. So I think I said earlier that I felt that maybe that it was the 25th day of Maizumi Roshi's passing, but of course it's the 25th year of his passing. And some of you have had access to the memorial service that the Soto um, White Plum teachers gathered to do as we do each year for Maizumi Roshi. And this was the first year that also all of his children joined and as far as I know, and spoke. And it was very moving. And, uh, and it was such a teaching about that sometimes things take 25 years to arrive at certain points and our hastiness about wanting things to resolve, wanting things to be a certain way are such uh, places of suffering. So how do we learn how to slow down? How do we participate in what's actually happening in this time of COVID-19 where many of us are feeling anxious and isolated and angry and really hurting, you know, wanting it to be over? In a way, it doesn't matter because what's happening is what's happening and how do we participate in what actually is happening? Mazumi says, this kind of group practice, such as at a Zen center, can be a real benefit to a world such as ours. Perhaps it is not so irrelevant to a world in which harmony is scarcer than diamonds, in which the realization of truth is widely regarded as an impossible dream. How rare harmony is. more rare than diamonds. So the practice of returning again and again is is the practice, not how we want it to be at all. Mizumi Roshi's first encounter with Americans was in World War II when he was a teenager 
when the grounds of his family temple were changed into an anti-aircraft battery and the American soldiers taught him to drink beer and smoke cigarettes and swear. He ordained as a monk earlier at 11 and he came from a line of family priests from his mother, mother's side of the family and always wanted to come to America after he met these Americans at his home temple. And in 1956, with the assistance from a Japanese loan shark, he got the means to do so. So he borrowed the money to come here because he felt like there was something about the freedom in America and the spaciousness. was a place that was ripe for Zed practice. And he worked as a first as a priest for Zen Shuji Temple in Los Angeles, which is still there, and the American headquarters of the Soto sect. And the temple catered mostly to Japanese Americans and focused on ceremonies and public events and little emphasis on Zazen. And he was so interested in learning how to bring Zazen and his love of Zazen and his love of realization of truth to people. And so he worked also at a Mitsubishi bank and famously was writing fortunes for a Chinese cookie company. You know, all the time being very clear where he wanted to go. And to me, I love that part of the story of, you know, that he was unfolding in his own experience and yet very clear about his vow to bring the teachings to this soil, to be a participant in changing the way we are. And as many Zen teachers, you know, he had a broader approach that he was not just interested in a single sect per se, because for example, he himself, you know, in 55 received Dharma transmission from his father, which is traditional. And at age 16, began studying with a man that fascinated him and he loved very much named Kuriosaka, who many of people in our Sangha love, who was a lay Rinzai teacher. And in the 60s, when he met Yasutani Roshi, which I love this, so he was already in America, already teaching as a Zen teacher and he met Yasutani Roshi and he felt very compelled to study these koans again with Yasutani and received transmission enough authorization to teach by all three teachers. And one of the things I've always appreciated about Maizumi is that his, his love of the Dharma and the love of learning and the teacher-student relationship, which, which was always very important to him. And in 1967, when there was a small group um, that he had begun at Zen Shuji, 
um, decided to get their own space. And that was the beginning of Zen Center of Los Angeles, which is still there today. Just celebrating its 50th year last year. And at the peak of its training, they owned the whole block in Koreatown in Los Angeles. And there were 200 people in residence. And our school, the Sotos and White Plum lineage is really known for its bringing together these two traditions that we're, even when we're in Japan, Chad and I, and we're explaining to some of our friends who are Rinzai monks or they said, oh, well, we also are. And it's very unusual. You know, there's this kind of desire often to either your Soto or your Rinzai, even though we're mostly Soto, but we have a strong uh, flavor. In particular, in our interest in koan study. And one of the things that was very moving to me in the memorial was to see, you know, now his lineage goes spans 180 teachers in 180 groups in the United States and Europe and South America. And to see how one person's dedication and love of the practice can have countless possibilities. But it takes that total dedication and to have many expressions, and he valued so many expressions, his initial group of Dharma successors are so diverse in how they express. And that's always also been so important in particular in our school, to find your expression, but make sure that it's deeply rooted in your practice. And the intimacy of the student-teacher relationship uh, and in honor of him. And I just met him twice, so it's not like I knew him well at all. But you know, I think one of the things about lineage is to realize that we're dependent on people and how do we appreciate them and learn from them even now. The 26th case of the Blue Cliff Record is Pai Chang sitting alone on Ta Swing Mountain. And this one does not have a pointer. So it goes right into the koan and it says, a monk asked Pai Chang, what's the extraordinary affair? Chang said, sitting alone on this mountain. The monk bowed and Chang hit him. <laughs> and that's the end of the call. So many people wonder about this koan and wonder what, what is the hitting. But before that, you know, here's a monk who is asking his teacher, student is asking their teacher 
what's what's the extraordinary what's the dharma all about what's so amazing about the dharma I remember so many times asking my different teachers that same question. What can it be? What's my potential going to be? He says, sitting alone on Tide Swing Mountain. What is it to enter practice and live a practice where we're actually not looking for something from the teacher, but able to actually sit alone on the mountain and be together? For me, there is so, I can even touch it now, the sorrow of kind of that part of me that has longed for approval or for someone else to tell me what's extraordinary. Instead of actually noticing, for example, this Jizo statue that Chodo brought back from Japan behind me. It's extraordinary. Someone made that. Maybe a group of people made it. The light, the flower. Who could tell us what's extraordinary? I mean, it's an amazing question. Tell me what's extraordinary. Tell me what is good. Tell me what is bad. Tell me if I'm okay. Am I practicing well or not well? Shishin uh, told the story in the memorial also Shishin Wick and will be joining us for our commit to say, which is so wonderful, one of Maizumi's first successors. And he um, made this vow to practice doing every Zazen period and every retreat for 12 years. It's actually a practice I highly recommend. It's just an amazing thing because you have to, you have to burn through all your preferences of like what you feel like and what you don't feel like but just, just show up for a long period of time. Changes you. So he did this for 12 years and in the 12th year, there was a day when he decided to uh, go play tennis instead of go to Zaza. And so he went to play tennis in his tennis shorts and t-shirt and with his tennis racket and went and had fun with some friends and was coming back and he sees Mizumi Roshi standing outside the zendo in his robes and 
just standing there. And years later, when Maizumi was actually in rehab for his alcoholism, he was asked to, the successors all came to see him and Maizumi was asked to share something that he remembered about each of them. And he looked at Chishin and it's like, I remember when you didn't come to Zazen and were, came with your tennis racket, something like that. <laughs> and the joy that he also felt that he said all he could do was laugh because there is something funny about it. And probably something sorrowful about it. Because that part of us that still wants the teacher to see us in a certain way. Because we actually don't know what Maizumi meant by it. Maybe it was the way that he was walking with his racket. Maybe it wasn't just that he wasn't in Sazen, but maybe there was something that he remembered about how he was in his body that day. The Chang says, sitting alone on Tai Swing Mountain, how do we get really clear about what our practice is? How do we get clear that we're never gonna be done with our practice? There is no arrival point. And this monk hears him and bows. Thank you. Could be the way that we all bow or greet each other from now on in the era of COVID. So beautiful. Recognizing the Buddha nature in each of us. Buddha bowing to Buddha. And thereupon, Chang hits him. So was he approving of him? Was he disapproving of him? In one of the commentaries of this, it says that the monk is willing to go into the tiger cave and grab the tiger by its whiskers. To me, like that's when we're willing to bring into relationship what is real. We have to be fearless to do that. It's an expression in Zen often about grabbing the tiger by its whiskers. How are you willing to do that? To really meet what you're afraid about in your own practice, in relationship, and share. Be willing to meet it, ask a true question, say a true thing. to move into harmony and relationship, which does not always mean everything's gonna be sweet. Because harmony has all the tones and all the flavors come together. This harmony that is rarer than diamonds. 
near the end of Memorial, uh, Mimi Maizumi, his daughter, who some of you know, talked about her dad as sometimes a devil. She said, you know, it's much more interesting than if he was just an angel. That we're all aspects and to allow the devilish part to be seen and worked with, to me is part of the healing of the lineage, learning to realize we all have many, many aspects. And oftentimes we leave so many aspects out. Maybe even our confusion. Leave it out. Leave our devilish part out. Whatever we're leaving out tends to create distance in the relationship. I love this koan because in any like the teacher wax him, which is usually saying like, be here, be here. So don't even be in the idea of this. Realize it's always about like feeling your body, not going off in some idea. Not going off in some idea. Near the end of, actually, I don't know, in, in the memorial also, Gyoku Roshi, who's the senior teacher and former abbot of Zen Center Los Angeles, talked about the last time she saw Maizumi Roshi and he, before he left for Japan where he did die, where he drowned. And he was, his plane was taking off in 30 minutes and she would, she was going to drive his car back and he said, you have to go first. I'm not going to move until you go first. And she thought that was crazy because he had so little time to make his plane. And so she eventually got in the car and started to drive away and he was standing there in Gasho. until she left. She could still see him in Gasho in the rear view mirror. The gratitude she spoke about. For the continuance of the Dharma maybe. Mazumi said the pitfall of practice is always within yourself. This very body and mind, he said, is the way. You're complete to begin with. There is no gap, but you think that there is. That's where we all get a little off. We think that there's a gap. We want to ask the teacher for something. 
And he asked this question. He said, how do you answer when someone asks you, why do you practice? So I thought we could end today with Mizumi's question. Why do you practice? What a wonderful question he offers us. Thank you.